Well, good morning. morning. Or good afternoon or good evening, depending on uh, where you happen to be. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from Warehouse or Chapel here or off-site campus, especially Greenville, Greensboro, Manning. Glad you guys are along. And uh, maybe you're just on the internet following along. We're glad that you are uh, with us or chose to join us uh, today. Uh, How many of you are looking forward to cooler weather? Anybody? Yeah. I'll tell you what, 100 is a great score on a test or so I've heard, but it's a miserable way to, you know, walk around in, in the elements. But help is coming, I'm sure. This too will pass. Let me ask you a question as we get started today. How many of you have ever laid awake at night? The house that you're in is dark. Everybody else is asleep. And you just can't turn your mind off. And let me me make it more specific than that. Okay. Um, We'll be selling sleeping pills afterwards. (laughs) How about this thought? You're laying awake and you're thinking about what happens after I die. Let me, let me tell you when that thought kind of comes a lot of times. Usually it's when you've lost a loved one or a friend and you weren't expecting it or maybe it was imminent, but it doesn't matter. It still comes on. And uh, I, I know in a church of this size, rarely does a week go by where somebody doesn't take a step into eternity. And so you're laying there and you're thinking, what really happens? You're trying to review what you know or what you think you know about what the Bible says, what you really really want to know. Or it can come during a crisis of faith. And, And we all have those to varying degrees where we know, we believe, but something kind of rattles that. And you wonder, what if? I mean, what's really true? What happens? when you die. You know, honestly, most of us are desperate to know what happens on the other side of the veil called death. It's a mystery. We all face it. We want to know. Give me some testimonies. Let me know. Just two months shy of his fourth birthday, Colton Burpo, the son of a pastor in rural Nebraska, was rushed into an emergency surgery with a burst appendix. Just uh, four years old. He woke up with an incredible story. See, according to him, he had died and gone to heaven where he met his great-grandfather and he met some biblical figures, John the Baptist and Samson and Jesus. His father later wrote a book uh, called Heaven is for Real. How many of you have read this? Wow, lots of you. Apparently, a lot of people have read this. Because this book was published, I think, in March, and it has been on the New York Times bestseller list at the top. This week I checked it out. It's number two. Bestseller list for five months. Imagine that. A book on the bestseller list for five months. I know somebody that's writing a book. Actually, they've written it. And... uh, (laughs) It'll be released September 28th, and all of you are going to buy multiple copies. Uh, 
I have no aspirations of that. Five months, bestseller list. Why? It's interesting. It's not published by one of the New York houses. It's a Christian publisher, Thomas Nelson. There wasn't a big marketing scheme to this whole thing. Mostly word of mouth. And why? Because people want to know. What happens on the other side? Has anybody ever been there? Is there any testimony to it? See, there's a sense that there is a forever somewhere and it's common to every civilization in human history. We could go through tons of them. Let me just give you three or four. The ancient Babylonians talked about a resting place for heroes, and they alluded to a tree of life. The Romans, ancient Romans, believed that warriors who died would picnic in fields of green with their horses nearby. Uh, Debbie and I, a couple of years ago, went to the pyramids in Egypt, and I went inside, and uh, they say that where they found embalmed bodies, they also found maps. People would put maps so that they would have instruction for the afterlife. Uh, here in the U.S., Native Americans believe that their spirits would hunt the spirits of buffalo forever. Every culture has what I believe is a God-given sense of destiny, that this isn't all there is, that there's something on the other side. Well, recently, my friend Pete Wilson went to Nebraska to interview Colton and his father. And so I'd like to take the next few minutes just to play you that interview, and then we're going to have some discussion on what does the Bible say about the hereafter. Was there football in heaven? Probably. <laughs> Animals, right? Yes. Dogs? Yeah. Horses? Yep. Cats? Yep. Are you sure about that? Positive. <laughs> I'm sorry, but positive. <laughs> I love this kid. You know, right now we live in Imperial, Nebraska. I pastor a, a small church in a kind of small rural town. And uh, this is just a good fit for us. Uh, rural life, just we really enjoy it. Uh, our kids get to jump on their bikes go around town to the pool, the movie theater, you've got that family environment, you've got, uh, uh, yeah, everyone in town knows each other, and you've got that gossip element. There's that one country song, Everyone Dies Famous in a Small Town. <laughs> yeah. That's true. But there's also the upside of that, just getting to know people and really getting to know them. In the book, you talked about a pretty difficult season that you went through personally, where you were just going through a series of, from breaking your leg to all kinds of things happening. Where you, it, it almost seemed like there, there's a sense that you felt like Job in, in many ways. Tell, tell me about that season for you. The year that we, we had all our difficulties and trials was 2002. Uh, was when it all kind of started for us. Um, crack broke my uh, leg in two places. And then right after that, I had kidney stones. I can tell you, breaking your leg in two pieces or, or in two breaks like I had doesn't hurt anything like kidney stones. I saw you write that in the book. It made me really nervous. And so here I went four months in a row, surgery, 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 surgery. My wife knew that I guess that all those months had really taken a toll on me. Of course, our finances were, were in terrible shape. And she's like, you know, you need to take a break. She kind of talked me into it. And it was on that trip that we kind of went to just kind of celebrate the fact that I was finally getting well, that Colton got sick. And um, it couldn't have been worse timing. I mean, it was absolutely the worst timing of all for us to go through that. 
do, do you feel like you know that you're special or, or you're different because I mean you experienced heaven yeah yeah I am a little bit different because I'm one of the lucky ones to see it but otherwise I'm just an average kid right before we left you know Colton had like a 105 degree temperature and how old's Colton at this time he's he's three he's not he's not four yet and she's like I don't know if we can come, you know, Colton's sick. And I said, we'll take him to the doctor. Well, there's a stomach flu going around town. He prescribed some medicine for him. Colton's fever breaks, goes down to normal and everything, and he starts feeling better and looked like he responded to the antibiotics and everything. And we said, okay, well, bring him on. Got home that night uh, to back to the motel where we were going to go see a friend's church that Sunday. I'd taken the weekend off. And and Colton started throwing up. So we could take him back to the doctor, and we're, we have some x-rays ordered, and we're like, could this be appendicitis? And he's like, well, no, I still think he just got a worst case of the flu. You know, the stomach virus going on. So they put him in the hospital, and for two more days, he just gets worse. And um, I remember my wife and I just looking at each other like, hey, wait a minute, we're, we're, we're losing him here. He's not getting better. Finally, we, we said, we just can't do this anymore. So we picked him up. We took him to a, a medical center close by, and they ordered a CT scan as soon as we got there. By this time, Colton's been struggling for five days. He's not even moving anymore. He's just laying limp in her arms. And she's looking at me saying, we screwed up. I knew we did. When they said, um, Mr. Burple, he, his appendix ruptured and we've got to put him in emergency surgery. His, his body's got to be poisoned. And so when they're wheeling my son away, uh, to surgery, he's not unconscious. He's, he's alert, and he's screaming. He's screaming at me. Daddy, make him stop. Daddy, why aren't you doing anything? Daddy, help me. Do you, do you remember how long you were in heaven? Um, I'm not sure because time is way different from here, but yeah. for some weird reason, I remember being up there for three minutes when it felt a whole lot longer. That's the lowest of the low I've ever been my whole life. I remember going back into that room where we had been waiting to meet the doctor, and I shut the door. I pulled the curtains and uh, I just let God have it. You know, here we went to go celebrate the end of our testing. We went to go celebrate the end of this. And now you're going to take my son. But I hadn't given up on God yet. I mean, I was mad at him, but I knew, God, you can still do something. What? Do it quick. Finally, a nurse comes out. She says, well, um, Colton's in recovery. I still remember just breathing that sigh of relief. He made it. I remember him looking up at me and he goes, Dad, do you know I almost died? Mm. It scared me to death. I thought for a second uh, maybe he'd overheard a nurse uh, while he was under anesthesia or something. Right. I didn't know where this came from. But my first reaction was all fear. And uh, we knew that when we left the hospital, God had touched our kid. 
But when it comes to what he has to say and what he shared with us later about heaven, I'll be honest with you, we, we were clueless. Tell us what, uh, what you remember most about heaven. Well, in heaven, I remember the golden gates, the throne room of God, the golden streets, and the people that I remember are Jesus, and I met a few Bible characters as they were Samson, King David, and the apostles, Peter and John. What's your favorite memory from heaven? Well, that's pretty hard because it's a very joyous place up there. And he would say little comments along the side, but we just never did catch up on anything and, until four months later. I was going to ask, it was four months later. Was it in the car that he yeah. first kind of brought it up? He goes, but you know, Dad, the angels, they sang to me while I was there. It was at that moment, we don't talk about angels much in our, in our family. We don't talk about it. And we're like, wait a minute, has he ever talked to you about angels before? That's when it finally dawned on Mom and I that, hey, we, we missed something. Mm. Something happened. Oh, yeah. We're like, well, but we're still kind of what are you talking about kind of stage and he says well dad well I was so scared Jesus had the angels sing to me and it made me feel better all of a sudden you're like oh wait a minute you mean Jesus was there he goes yeah dad Jesus was there I had to pull over we, we pull over at this Arby's I'm sitting there in the parking lot what do you mean angels sang to you and you sat on Jesus' lap when, when did this happen he goes well my doctoral hollering was working on me dad he says well dad I was up above, and I could look down, and I could see you in a room by yourself, and you were praying. And he starts telling me about that pre-op room where I was, where I'd shut the door, and I'd pulled the curtains. Then he says, and I could see Mom too, Dad. She was in a different room, and she was on her cell phone, and she was calling people, and she was asking them to pray. And I remember the whole trip, rest of the Sioux Falls, Colton falls asleep, everyone in the, in the vehicle's asleep except for me driving. And that whole trip, I'm like, God, how could this be? From that moment forward, have you ever had doubts or, or have you always gone back to that moment and said, I, I know that, that this was more than just a dream? No, I've had doubts since then um, because that was just the beginning. I thought the extent of Colton's vision was just at the hospital at first. And then when he started talking about events and people and places he saw in heaven, all of a sudden that opened up a whole nother, you went to heaven too? I mean, when a lot of people doubt Colton's story, I don't fault him for that because here I was, I was dad and I doubted him. But I had, the, I had the vantage point of being close to check it out, that they don't. Even though I'm a pastor. And I know God's answered prayers before. Um, I never in my life imagined that I'd experience something like this. Uh, what was God like? Well, it's a little bit hard to describe him since he was so huge, but what he had was giant white robes, a sash that went from his left shoulder to his right hip, and a sash that went around like a belt, and those were yellow. Hmm. And then he had massive wings and golden hair. When he talked about meeting his sister in heaven, we'd had a miscarriage we'd never told him about. And when he looked at his mom and said, Mom, you had a baby die in your tummy, didn't you? Mm -hmm. You talk about a bomb going off in the room. 
Mom, real quick, got real serious. Who told you that? That was a hurt my mom, hurt his mom, my wife had that was really private. She didn't share that with a lot of people. And her first response shows it. Who told you? Well, my sister, she was miscarried, but so, and she would be older than me if she were alive now. So when I first met her, she came over and gave me a big hug, so. And he goes, Mom, she's okay, it's okay. It's okay, Mom, God adopted her. She's okay. I remember my wife getting down on her knees, putting her arms on Colton's shoulders, looking at him straight in the face. You mean Jesus adopted her? He stands his ground. No, Jesus didn't adopt her. His dad did. What did she say to you? She said that she was her sister and explained how she got there, and I never knew of her. See, we were only two months along. We didn't know if we had a boy, if we had a girl. Well, she looks a lot like Cassie, Mom, but... Except she's a little bit shorter than her, and she has darker hair, like brown, but Cassie had blonde. Then he goes on, and Mom, she just kept hugging me all the time. Every time she saw me, she just come up and hugged me, and I didn't like that very much. <laughs> but she was just really happy that someone in her family was in heaven with her. And then he looks up at me. By this time, we're just all gathered around him. He says, Dad, I told her that when you get to heaven, you'd give her a hug. The peace that came over us at that moment, finding out about our daughter, was indescribable. I mean, completely indescribable. You know, for, uh, for me, that was probably the most powerful part yeah. of the entire book. Uh, my wife and I uh, went through the same thing eight years ago when we lost a baby at, I think it was 14 weeks. And it's not even something we talk about very much. Yeah. Because it's hard, It's so hard to, like you said, it's, it wasn't a baby that we ever held, and yet there's still this, this yeah. deep pain. And like the hope that it brought me, just reading that book, to think about I've got a, a child that's in heaven that's, that one day my wife and I will get to greet what was an unbelievable piece that we got. You know, people come up and ask me today, how many kids you got? Four. Hmm. Before then, I would have always told them three. Yeah. Well, two at the time, because Colby came along after. But now, I got four. I got one waiting for me. I know I do. You know. And in church, we talk about things like redemption and propitiation and and sanctification and things that people just kind of get lost. When a four-year-old says, "I saw my sister in heaven," everyone gets that. Mm -hmm. It's so simple and so straightforward and it's so real and it's so uncontrived and it's un not forced. It's just, my granddad's another person, you know. They've had dads, they've had parents that have gone on ahead of them. What are they going to look like? And he answers so many questions with his memories, questions of pastors I couldn't have answered before. Right. And how about Pop? What, what did he say to you when you met him? Well, he asked me the question if I was my dad's son, which I was, and he said that he was his grandfather. So when I met him, that sort of father resemblance of my dad mm -hmm. sort of came out. Wow. What, what do you say? Because I know you, that you're fully aware that there's critics out there that would say, Pastor Todd, do you really expect for us to believe that your son went to heaven? Well, there's two things that I, you know, a lot of people get hung up over the fact that I'm a pastor. That, that seems to be their biggest issue. 
I have an agenda here and I'm trying to project or promote my beliefs through my son. Another thing is, you know, we live in a small town. We talked about that just a little bit. People have been talking to Colton for years. They have direct access to him. They know this is not coming filtered through pastor dad. This right, is coming right. straight from Colton. I assure you, Colton's memories are coming from him, not through me. 19 weeks, number one on a New York Times bestseller list. The story of Colton has literally went around the world and impacted people. Why, why this story? Well, I think, again, you know, I think the Holy Spirit really is involved with convincing people of what is true and what isn't. We have people writing in all the time, something made me buy this book, pushed me over and I had to get it. And when I read this, it was just that same voice was telling me this is true. So I believe God's very much a part of this process. He has to be. I think some of the things that set maybe Colton's story apart is his age. It's, it's got to be huge. Hmm. You know, he, a four-year-old doesn't come with an agenda. It's just right. black and white. This is what I saw. I can't explain it to you and I'm not going to. And there you go. Do, do you miss it? Sort of. It's a place that you look forward to going back to. Yeah. What, what, do you, what do you miss most about it? Well, I just miss seeing all the people up there that I knew and loved. Mm. The things that I enjoyed were spending time with my grandfather and my sister. And the other thing that I liked was sitting on Jesus' lap. That was fun. I bet that was cool. You know, we've been taught our entire lives as Christians that this world is not our home. That exactly. our home is an eternity with God. And yet, realistically, I, I think there are few of us who spend much time thinking about heaven. Now that you, uh, obviously you know a lot about heaven from God's word, but you have this personal story now. Yeah. Has your desire for heaven changed? Well, for me, heaven was kind of an intangible place. It was spiritual, but I didn't have a clear picture of what it was like. It was, I believed in its existence. When he starts sharing and talking and giving details, like they brought in a little chair for me and I sat by God, the Holy Spirit. I had never thought of heaven in such human terms. How's your faith gotten stronger? Well, every time when I talk to God, I know he's there so I can know he's listening. Yeah. Yeah, because some of us doubt sometimes when we pray, wondering if God's there listening. And I mean, you experienced it firsthand, so you have this really strong faith when you pray, don't you? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, you, wrote, you wrote this in the book. You said, uh, not just a place with jeweled gates, shining rivers, and streets of gold, but a realm of joy and fellowship, both for those who are with us in eternity and those still on earth whose arrival we eagerly anticipated, a place where I would one day walk and talk with my grandfather who had meant so much to me and with a daughter I had never met. Yeah. And it's like you, it's like you almost put like skin you yeah. know, on, on heaven. And right there with this glimpse into heaven, what does it tell you that's most important to Jesus about heaven? He didn't bring up the gold streets or any of that. It's about the people that are there. God is there. And God's chosen, God's elect, God's saved and forgiven are there. You know, that's what makes heaven. Heaven, heaven is such a better idea mm. than anything man can come up with, you know. And if people can get excited about God's plan for eternity and know who God really is, 
that's, that, that, that was fresh on my heart when I wrote that book, and I hope that, that the book communicated that to him. There's a, there's a great little story about when you guys were trying to decide what you wanted to uh, title the book. And everybody in the family kind of came up with some different titles of what they wanted to call it. Tell, tell me about that story. Well, what happened is my dad, he had his title, Heaven by Four, because I was around four there. And then my mom, I forgot her title. Now my sister's is the one that everybody comments on. Her title is, yeah, my brother went to heaven and back, but he's still no angel. <laughs> but she's not an angel either. Our editor asked, what would you like the main message to get out here? And I said, I just want people to know that heaven is for real. And that's how the book cover, that's how the title came. That's the perfect title. It's worked very well, hasn't it? All right, dry your eyes and let's talk. So what's the truth? What do you think about that? Did that really happen? All right, let me, let me tell you what we did. Uh, I got a group of our team together on Monday of this week, and I played that, and after it was done, it sparked some incredible conversation, which is what we want to do today. That's basically purpose is spark conversation at your dinner table today or with friends or whatever. And so I asked the team, I said, what did you think? That really happened. One of the guys jumped up right away, and he said, you know, I'm kind of gullible. And he is, and I'm not going to tell you who he is, because Chris Russo would be embarrassed. <laughs> but he said, I, I buy it exactly. Wow, that is so cool. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm on kind of the other end of the scale. I tend to be a bit skeptical about things that seem too good to be true. Okay? Um, if you, for, I, if I was you, I would not forward me an email of these fantastic stories from the internet, because what I will do is I will go to Snopes.com, I will check it out, and then I will give you the link, send it back to you. It will hurt your feelings that your pastor would do that, and it will break, bust the bubble for you, or else just solidify what you think even more. I don't know. Uh, I'm a bit skeptical, and some of you right now are going good. That's how I am too. Well, let me just tell you this. Skepticism is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, okay? <laughs> Jesus didn't say, blessed are the skeptical, they will inherit the kingdom of earth. No, he said the merciful. And I'm, I, don't, I wouldn't classify myself as an extreme skeptic, but I always think, mm. and when I saw this one, I thought, mm, four-year-old kid, maybe dream, don't know, not sure, all that. And, and it's okay to feel those things. But as I watched... I thought, I, I tell you what got me in the heart, same thing got you in the heart, this sister. And how did he know that? And all that kind of stuff. And I thought, we have kids and grandkids personally in our family that are there. And I know that intellectually, but when I saw that, it, as Pete said, it put skin on it. I thought, I got, there's kids. And so I don't know. I, I don't know if it's exactly like he said. I don't know. Most of what we know about heaven is speculate speculation anyway because the Bible talks a lot about heaven but it doesn't give specific details in some areas but you know what it's possible it's possible and uh, 
I'm not a skeptic of heaven, and I, I'm not saying I don't think that happened. I think it's very possibly did. But what we want to do with this series, we're, we're, we're calling it trending. Kind of cool to see you guys twittering during church. Uh, and those of you at the campuses, we gave you permission to do that. Hashtag trending 11 uh, to get the message out beyond these walls. But we're going to tackle some subjects that are tough ones, challenging ones. And uh, over the next two or three weeks, we're going to talk about the afterlife. Uh, this week, just kind of an overview. Next week, we're going to delve into heaven more. I'm going to talk to you about what the Bible says, what we know that the Bible says. We're going to try to stick as close to Scripture as we can. And then the following week, we'll talk about hell. I was going to call it hell no, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And then we'll get into some other some other subjects. But for this week, uh, on the back of your outline sheet, there's some scriptures. If you want to take those home and read them, it's going to be precursor to some of the stuff we'll talk about uh, this next week. But what I want to do right now is just want to give you just a little overview of what we know about heaven. Just want to spark your imagination just a little bit, okay? Here's the first thing. We know that Jesus promised it. We know that Jesus promised it. Uh, There's a scene in the Bible toward the end of the Gospels Uh, where the disciples are together and they're there for their last meal. Now, they don't know it's their last meal. They just know that it's a Passover meal. Evidently, da Vinci knew it was their last meal, so he got there and took a picture. (laughs) Or Daniel Brown has him. I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened. Anyway, so so it's their last meal and, and Jesus is trying to explain to them what's going to be happening and they're not getting it. And finally it becomes clear, er, he's not going to be here. He's talking about leaving us. There's this separation thing. What's going to happen? There's almost a terror that goes on inside of them. And Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 1, don't be troubled. You trust God, now trust in me. There are many rooms in my father's home. And I am going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I would tell you plainly, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. He made a promise. He said this, I'm going to my father's house. What's my father's house? It's a metaphor for heaven. Okay. He's talked about the kingdom of heaven. He's talked about heaven. And now he says, let me put it in terms that you can understand. It's a place. It's a place. It's not just disembodied souls and spirits, you know, kind of just floating around. I'm going to go to a place. It's my father's house, and I'm going to build something there for you. So Jesus says, it's it's not over when you think it's over. He says, I'm promising a future place, a, a forever place where we would be with him. Here's the second thing I know, is that the Holy Spirit guaranteed it. The Holy Spirit guaranteed it. Uh, The Apostle Paul and and the writers of the gospel tell us that something happens when we trust God through a relationship with Jesus. Um, When you you come to God and and you say, you know what, I know I'm a sinner. We all know that. And there's this innate sense in us that something's wrong and there's not the kind of relationship or peace with God that there ought to be. And we recognize that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He came, He lived, He died for our sin, and He rose again. And we we just kind of accept that. Something happens in that moment. It's not just a mental ascent, 
But according to the Apostle Paul, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of us. It's a concept that's kind of kind of hard to really get our arms around, but there's 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 witness to it inside of us. And and when the Holy Spirit comes, there's really neat benefits. And that's not what not what this message is about, so I'm not going to get into a whole bunch of them. But he illuminates truth to us. You'll be reading God's Word, and it'll come alive. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Sometimes you'll be in an atmosphere like this, and during worship, I hear people all the time say, I began to cry, I began to weep, and I didn't know why. It's the Holy Spirit kind of cleansing and doing a, a work inside. Um, there, there are moments that the Holy Spirit uh, kind of gives you pictures or foretastes of what's to come. But here's what, um, here's what the Apostle Paul says specifically about the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 1. It says the Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us everything He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. This is just one more reason for us to praise our glorious God. Let me give you two pictures of the Holy Spirit just for this weekend. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. He says the Holy Spirit is kind of like a down payment on what is to come. It's a guarantee that God will fulfill the promise that Jesus kind of laid out in John 14. Has anybody noticed um, that the credit rating in the United States went down just a little bit in the last couple of weeks, like from AAA to AA plus? I have no idea what that means. Okay? I am not an economist. But... Just in my little brain, kind of. This is kind of the broad brush of what it means. There, there are some people in the in the financial kind of sector of the world that have some doubts about whether America can follow through on what we promised as far as our debts, and so they're making it a little bit harder to borrow money. Maybe um, they they downgraded our reliability. Well, as I was thinking about that, nobody has ever, nor will they ever, downgrade. God's reliability. God said it. He will follow through on it. And God has given the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a guarantee that what Jesus talked about will happen. And here's another way that works, and it's kind of the second picture, and that's the Holy Spirit as a taster, as a taster. Let me explain that. Those of you who live in Charleston, and I just invite all of you from the campuses or wherever you happen to be to just kind of live vicariously here for a minute, there are some awesome restaurants here in the Charleston area. Would you agree with me? I mean, if you have the gift of eating like I have, it is a great place to be. And one of the cool events, and I invite anybody to come and be a part of it at some point, is called the Taste of Charleston. Anybody ever been to that? Here's what they do is all these restaurants get a little tent and... um, and they serve little kind of little tasters, little bits of what they serve in their restaurant. And so you go and you get it, you know, little bits here and you go, wow, that's good. And, and what they're trying to do is they're going, you think that's good. You come to the restaurant, you eat a full meal, you'll get the real deal. And hopefully they want you to buy it. And then if you're a seacoaster, you're going to tip at least 20%. Amen? <laughs> oh, that was weak. If you're a Christian, you're going to tip, right? Okay. Amen. Yeah. We've got work to do there. It's another message. So, so the Holy Spirit is like a taster, a taster of what is to come. Sometimes you'll have what I call them God moments. You ever had a God moment where it was just like, 
wow, I don't want this to end. Uh, my son Jason and I were out fishing in our favorite place a couple of years ago. And we love to go at high tide, right at sunset, and with no wind and all of that. It's just like, it's, it's incredible up in the marsh. And this time we were out there, and for about 20 minutes, seriously, there was no conversation. It was absolutely silent. The only thing you could hear were, were nature's sounding. And it was as if if we broke the silence, it would be like the wrong thing to do. We knew that. It was a God moment. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had a God moment when you saw a painting or listened to a piece of music or experienced something that you went, it just doesn't get better than this? Yes, it does. Those are tasters. Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, the mind cannot conceive what God has planned for you. But the Holy Spirit works as kind of a, a, a foreshadow, just kind of a, a, a taster in what God has in store for us. So Jesus prompted heaven, prompted or promised it. The Holy Spirit guarantees it. Let me give you a third thing. We are supposed to think about it more. We're supposed to think about it more. The Apostle Paul gives these instructions in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. And why don't you... Why don't you read this one out loud here and at the campuses? Will you do that? Let heaven fill your thoughts. Let's stop because the campuses did not get on board with that. Okay, let's go. All right. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth. It doesn't say, don't think about things down here on earth. Have you ever known somebody that was too heavenly minded to be any earthly good? Yeah, no, you've got things you need to think about, but it says don't think only about that, but let heaven fill your thoughts. Can I tell you? That's probably the biggest key to a better quality of life if you just follow that verse. And let heaven fill your thoughts and don't only think about what's down here, but think regularly about what is to come. We know that the early church was preoccupied with thoughts about heaven. Um, in Rome, there are catacombs that are below the ground, and it is where early Christians buried their dead. There's hundreds of thousands of, of graves there. And the tombs have in, inscriptions such as, In Christ, Alexander is not dead, but he lives. Here is one who lives with God, it says. Or he was taken to his heavenly home. And there, there are pictures on the walls that display these heavenly scenes and children playing and just awesome banquets. About the second century, a Greek named Aristides was writing a friend. They were discussing the reason for the success of this new religion, Christianity. And he said this, he said, if any righteous man among the Christians passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God, and they escort his body with songs and thanksgiving as if he were setting out from one place to another. He said, it's different how they mourn their dead. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. You can understand why Paul would say in Philippians uh, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He says, I look forward to it. Honestly, that kind of thinking is foreign to us these days. Why? I think you can't desire 
what you don't imagine. You can't desire what you don't imagine. See, if, if you imagine heaven as this place where angels float around in these goofy-looking robes and they play harps all the time, you're not going to desire that. You're not going to think about that. If your picture of heaven is a nonstop worship service, for some of you, that's awesome. For some of you, you tapped out after about 15 minutes of, of music on Sunday morning and somebody invited you to a First Wednesday service, which is my favorite, and has about an hour and 40 minutes of mostly music, and you just were overloaded and said, I'm not going back there. And to think about forever worship service, it's not something you desire. You, you, you can't desire You won't desire what you can't imagine. So I want you to imagine. Open your mind. What is heaven? We'll talk about it more specifically next week. In fact, kind of two different phases of heaven. But for this week, just think about this. Think about those who have gone on before. And imagine that. What will that be like to meet them? and Maybe for the first time or maybe to renew acquaintances. How about imagining doing things that you enjoy doing here without the hindrance of sin. Golf without sin. Do I think there'll be golf in heaven? You betcha I think there will be. And I'll talk to you about that next week. How about gardening without weeds? Whatever it happens to be, think about it. Heaven, let your imagination run wild. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. No mind has conceived what God has for you. Here's the truth. We all die. In fact, they did a little research on this this week. This is true in Columbia, Greenville, Greensboro, Savannah, Manning, Mount Pleasant. All of those areas, researched them all. And the mortality rate is hovering right around 100%. You look up and down the aisle right now. Everybody on that aisle will be dead at some point unless Jesus comes. 250,000 people every day on the planet that we call earth go to an eternity of either heaven or hell. Ancient merchants often wrote the words memento mori, which meant think of death on the first page of their accounting books. Kind of keep things in perspective. Not a bad idea for Congress, to be honest with you. (laughs) Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, commissioned a servant to do nothing but stand in front of him every day and say these words, Philip, you will die. Every day, Philip... You will die. So that he had a pers- never lost perspective on how long he actually had. Contrast that with um, Louis XIV of France who demanded that the word death never be uttered in his presence because he had a fear of death. Most of us are more like Louis than we are Philip because we live under the fear of death. And here's the truth. Jesus came to deliver you and I from the fear of death. 
Hebrews 2 and verse 14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could die, or for only as a human being could die, and only by dying could he break the power of death who had the power of, uh, power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he deliver those who have lived all of their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Paul said it like this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I opened with a question. Let me end with a question. What delivers us from the fear of death? What takes away the sting of death? Only one thing. Only a relationship with the one who died on our behalf, who overcame death, who kicked the end out of the tomb and made it a tunnel, and who went ahead of us to prepare a place that he promised we would be with him always. Honestly, if we don't know him, we will fear death and feel its sting. And the truth is, we probably should. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for hope. I thank you for heaven. God, may you fill our minds as much as possible with what you have planned for us. In our own little way, may we see just a little piece of what the future could hold and be encouraged by that. And God, in the next few minutes, I just pray that you would lead us into honesty about you and about ourselves, about our future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.